0: Let's pray. Lord, thanks for your goodness, and thanks that we get to hear from you now. We just pray, Lord, that you'd, um, that you'd just bless our time and bless your word, and uh, just have your way with us, Lord. Please guide us and lead us, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So if you would, open up to Colossians chapter 3. My voice, my voice is a little froggy this morning. Please don't let that be a distraction. I'm COVID negative, right? Verified yesterday. So um, so you don't have to worry about being around me uh, or me breathing on you. Colossians chapter 3. What a book, the book of Colossians. What a book, the book of Colossians. So chapter 1 told us that Jesus was preeminent. He's the head of the body of Christ. He holds the world together, all the big pieces and all the little pieces, right? Remember we talked about that? He holds the atoms together. And uh, uh, just a great uh, chapter there. Chapter 2 started out with the idea that as we journey through life, we do well to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, right? Hebrews tells us he's the author and the finisher of our faith. And so um, as as we have our eyes fixed on Jesus because he's preeminent, uh, We've got to be careful not to be distracted. Paul used the words, interestingly, deceived or cheated. Those things that distract us from walking uh, on the right path with our eyes fixed on Jesus, those things deceive us. They cheat us. The philosophy, persuasive words, wisdom of man, all of that kind of stuff. And then chapter 2 finished with examples of circumcision and baptism to point out that Jesus uh, did all the work for us to have fellowship with him. Jesus did all the work for us to have fellowship with him. And so, um, therefore, that brings us to today. We're not living like we're doing some kind of religious duty. We're living as a result of the fellowship we have with him. And so, chapter three sort of transitions a little bit into uh, sort of some practical Christian living. Raise your hand if you'd like to hear about some practical Christian living. Very good. Me too. So, Chapter three, verse one, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. And so there's a lot in these in this verse. So uh, let me start out first by saying. Uh, where he says, if then, if then you were raised with Christ, the really, if then should be translated more like since. So since you've been raised with Christ, it's kind of one of those therefore words. We've talked about sort of the therefore words um, uh, in the, in particularly in Paul's letters. And so since we've been raised with Christ, what should we do? We should seek those things which are above where Christ is. And so the idea is since we were raised with Christ, that takes us back. I have to bring us back to two weeks ago because David Markey was here last week. So. Since we were raised with Christ is a reference to chapter two, the discussion about baptism, right? Look back to chapter two, verse 12. Buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So the idea of baptism is just a, um, really it's just a, a, a picture for us that when we're baptized, we go down in the water and our old our old man, our flesh, dies and is in the water and stays there, and the person that comes up is sort of raised with Christ, if you will. Raised because of Christ, and the picture is we're raised with Christ. The idea is when we come up out of the water, we're a different person than when we went in. Does that make sense? Right? Second Corinthians tells us that uh if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is past, behold, all things have become new. Flip back to the left, Romans chapter 6, in the context of baptism and walking a new life. Romans chapter 6, starting verse 1. Paul says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin, right? We died to sin, how shall we live any longer in it? Or do you not know? that as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we should walk in newness of life. So flip back to Colossians. So since we've been raised with Christ, we're now new creatures. We can walk in newness of life. It's like how we live as resurrected Christians. It's It's like when we... Before we were baptized or, you know, as we're going down, we're going down as one person and we're coming up as a new person. And sometimes as the new person, we need to sort of get our bearings. How do I walk as a new person? Right. If you had to learn how to walk all over again, you'd ask the question, how do I do that? And so he's going to give us some real uh, just specific instructions here. So I want us to get the idea of the idea of resurrected Christians. Right? We've not literally died, but we're really, you know, because we've been sort of raised with Christ, we're resurrected Christians. So that describes who we are. So we don't live by rules anymore, but we live by who we are. We live according to who we are. How who we are should we define How we live. Does that make sense? Who we are should define how we live. I remember when we first came to town, this kind of funny story. When we first came to town, we came here from Indianapolis, this is years ago, had what I thought were, what I felt like were a million kids at the time. Now I got two million. And I remember pulling in to the, pulling up to what was, well, it was Tapatio's restaurant, like I think. Five buildings ago, right? What's now Wendy's. Remember when Tapatea, When the new Wendy's? If you're new in town, you're like, seriously? Yeah. So we pulled up the curb, and there was just a little bit too much energy in the car. You know what I mean? Anybody ever had a million kids? You know what too much energy in the car means? And I remember I turned around and I said, this is a small town. My job kind of uh, honestly is gonna put me in a sort of a visible position with a sort of a cross section of the community. We're gonna engage in the community. We got a million kids and so it's like, we're not obscure, right? And so you're Murphy's. I remember saying this, you're Murphy's. I want you to act like Murphy's. And all a million of them said, that's what we're doing, right? (laughs) No, 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 we're gonna redefine what it means to be a Murphy and so, you know, we all marched orderly into the restaurant acting like that's how we always do, right? And so, who we are defines how we live. Does it not? You think about it. Just in the simple, not even apart from the, from the biblical uh, connotations, who we are defines how we live in so many ways. So many ways. Probably, honestly, way more than we realize. So... Take that back to the Colossians 3. Who we are, we are new creatures in Christ that should affect how we live, right? And so that's what he's telling us about. So what should we do? We should seek those things which are above. What's above? Heaven, right? Seek the things that are heavenly. So what's in heaven? Well, Jesus is in heaven, Right? Uh, the Bible tells us he's sitting down at the right hand of God, right? He's up there. So we should seek Jesus, right? We should seek to live after the pattern that Jesus set. The gospel's representation of Jesus, the, the picture that we see of who he was and who he was when he walked on this earth should be an example for us and we should follow after that, right? Who else, what else is in heaven? I believe others who've gone before us, right? So we should focus on relationships perhaps, Right? Right? It's been said that, you know, other people are the only thing you can take to heaven with you. Right? Can't take your new car to heaven. But you, you know, we can take other people with us to heaven. And so, you know, there's, other than that, there's not a lot in heaven. Uh, there's a great description. I love what Paul gives us. Again, turn uh, back to the left to Second Corinthians chapter 12. I really like this. Paul had a vision um, of heaven. He speaks of it in the third person, really, just so he won't take too much pride on himself or too much focus on himself. But he says, verse chapter 12, verse 1, "It is, it is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will... <laughs> Excuse me. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, he's speaking of himself. Whether in the body, I do not know, or whether out of the body, I do not know, God knows. Such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. How he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast, except in my infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth. But I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. So Paul's description of heaven is that it's better than anything. It's unspeakable. You, go to, you get a vision of heaven, it's, it's like he's so, he doesn't even know if he's in the body or out of the body, it's just so out there for him, he can't really put his finger on it, but he knows that it's, that it's, it's beautiful beyond human description. So, that's where we're headed. That's where we're headed. So if we were raised with Christ, or or let's say since we were raised with Christ, and again, we're raised as new creations, we should seek those things which are above. We should seek God. We should seek that beautiful, um, with with beautiful anticipation that we're going to heaven. And that he's there. He's actually interceding for us while he's up there right now. Romans chapter 8 tells us. He's interceding for us. He's there. Others who've gone before us are there. We can, I don't know how it works in terms of our relationships up there, but we know it's going to be better than anything we can describe, right? You know, sometimes people ask questions like, you know, will my dog be there? To which I say, yeah, but your cat won't. Uh, No, I won't say that. Um, I say, I don't know, right? Sorry, just divided the room, didn't I? I say, I don't know, but it's going to be awesome. You know, Jesus says, gives us a little quip about, it. he says, there'll never, there won't be marriage in heaven. And you might say, oh, that's, you know, I want to be with my wife for eternity. Somehow it'll be awesome. It'll be awesome, more awesome than we can imagine. And so we can accept that. We can look forward to that. Verse two, he goes on, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. So this phrase, set your mind. I like one definition I saw of the Greek word means exercise your mind. You ever think about exercising your mind? Exercising your mind? What happens when your mind doesn't exercise? Yeah, it just kind of goes wherever it feels like going. Is that healthy mentally? No. Exercise your mind. You can decide where your mind goes, right? Well, you know, just kind of... No. You can decide where your mind goes. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Here's the thing. Here's 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 a fundamental problem in our thinking as Americans today. We think our mind is not exercisable if you will, we think it follows our what? What did we learn last time we went to Disneyland? You wish upon a star and you follow your what? Heart. You follow your heart. How many of you ever heard anybody with uh, any, like, authority, meaning they're on the Internet, saying, follow your heart? Ever heard that? Follow your heart? We're here at all the stinking time. And it's biblically backwards. It's biblically backwards. Don't follow your heart. Let your heart follow your mind. You say, well, how does that work? Well, you can set your mind on things above. You can exercise your mind. And guess what will happen? Your heart will follow. Your heart will follow. Too often, we get the order backwards. Either, it's either my emotions or my feelings that drive everything. And that's not how it should be. Set your mind on things above. Set your mind on things above. That's why it's so important, even in, even in a Christian context. Okay, so let's say we're not supposed to follow our heart. But even in the Christian world, sometimes we try to make Christianity an emotional thing, Right? Well, there's nothing wrong with emotions. God made our emotions, but our emotions should follow our minds, not the reverse. If I, if, you know, if we do something where, you know, we create a mood here, right? You know, we, we do whatever you're supposed to do to create a mood. And we create a mood and you feel like all warm and fuzzy. And you walk out of here and say, wow, that service was awesome. And somebody says, well, yeah, that's great. What would you learn? I oh, don't know, but it was awesome. It just felt right. I was so blessed. Well, you've heard me say before, you know, worship doesn't bless you. It's supposed, it's supposed to bless the Lord, right? It's supposed to be directed upward. It's not here to entertain you. That, that's just an emotional entertainment. And we're not here to entertain anybody. We're here to grow in the Lord. We're here to learn how to walk as new Christians, Right? Because we need some instruction from the scripture, how to walk in newness of life. And so we don't follow our heart. We don't follow our feelings, God forbid. We set our mind on things above, not on things of the earth. It's very important that we get the order right. So we set our mind on things above and not on the things of earth. Can I tell you the stuff of earth? I love there's an old Rich Mullins line. says the stuff of earth competes for the allegiance I owe only to the giver of all good things isn't that true the stuff of earth competes for the allegiance that I only I owe only to the giver of all good things right be careful about this now we have to live on this earth right in the midst of stuff and stuff is there but be very careful set your mind on things above not on things of the earth the problem is those things that are above right I think of it like this the things that are above are kind of a whisper and the things of earth are kind of like a scream right even good causes can I tell you this when I say set your mind on things above not on things of the earth you say oh yeah that's right I shouldn't uh, engage in you know uh, pornography and thievery and covetousness and stuff like that yeah that's things of earth But, you know, let me just say this. Other things of earth might be things that we think are a good cause. Right? Or uh, rallying behind some particular movement or some whatever. If it's not focused on things above, we've got to be very careful. Because I think even as Christians we can be a little more engaged in the affairs of this world than maybe we should be. Makes me think I'm, sorry, I'm one of my favorite, favorite verses. Bear with me. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 3 and 4. I love this. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life so that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. I love that word picture. Can you imagine being in active combat? Right? Let's say you're in the Middle East or, you know, wherever, and you're in active combat, right? and you look over your, and you know, shells are flying, and I make no light of this, I've never been in active combat, but shells are flying and you know, whatever, it's, uh, would you be focused? You'd be focused, right? Would you look at your buddy and like, talk about the football game or the stock market? No way, no way. No soldier in active duty. By the way, as new creation Christians, should we be in active duty? Yeah, we're in active duty. No soldier in active duty entangles himself. Please catch that word. Entangles himself from Second Timothy. Entangles himself with the affairs of this life. Do we have to live in this life? Yes, we have to live in this life. But we don't entangle ourselves in this life. We set our mind on things above, not on the things of this earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So you died. You died refers to the sinful nature. Again, depicted by baptism that we talked about uh, two weeks ago. So now, since we died, our lives are hidden in Christ, it says. You ever feel like the life you live as a Christian is sort of a secret? You ever feel like that? Right? And it may not be that you're, like, keeping some secret. It may just be that the world doesn't get it. Right? There are lots of things that I think, as a Christian and I'm engaged in a conversation with somebody that's not a Christian, I wouldn't, and let's say they're not open to any kind of, they don't want to hear what I have to say, right? How hard do you think I try to get them to understand what I'm thinking and why? Not very, right? I say, "Uh uh-huh, sure. Because my life is hidden, right? I'm a pilgrim in this world. I'm passing through. I don't want my feet to be anchored too tightly to this world. Because I'm looking for something way better. My sights are set way better, as Paul described. I don't want to be too anchored in here in this world. Does that make sense? And so, you know, and I see, honestly, I see the way... people's mindsets have changed over the last couple, well, maybe they were always that way, maybe they've been exposed, I don't know. But there's, the, people's mindsets over the last couple of years. You know, like, the, the, they're just, they're just, there's just a desire, a longing, honestly, by a lot of people, and honestly Christians included, to be entangled in the affairs of this life, to be anchored into this, into what, what I'm doing in this life. And I want to be I wanna see my life as a pilgrim. This life is a camping trip, right? When you go on a camping trip, what do you sleep in? A tent. Why? Because you're gonna pack it up the next day and go. You don't go to the campsite and buy a piece of real estate, build a house on it, right? You, you pitch a tent. So our lives are hidden with Christ in God. And then he says, he goes on, and this is a little bit tangential for Paul. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I believe this is a reference to the second coming of Christ. And depending on, your, again, your end times view, my, my feeling is that when the, uh, or the way I read it, I should say, is... When Christ is who our life appears, that's in his second coming. So, uh, again, as we've talked before, rapture the church, and then seven years later after the great tribulation, Jesus Christ comes back with his church. If that's how it plays out, when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you'll also appear with him in glory. There's probably a reference uh, to that. But then he comes back to sort of the things on earth and things above. He says, therefore, verse 5. Now we get into some therefores. Ready? Therefore. Put to death your members which are present on the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. I knew it. Sooner or later, we'd get to the list of do's and don'ts, right? Sooner or later, you've been talking about grace. You've been talking about all that warm and fuzzy Jesus stuff. Sooner or later, you're going to get down to it and talk about the rules and the things that we can't do. And you're going to spoil our fun because, you know, things like fornication and uncleanness and passion and evil desire and covetousness, those things are fun. No, there's no baggage with those things, is there? It's just fun. It's just unbridled fun. Is that true? No. So is this a list of rules? No. This is how I think of it. And I think it's how the Bible teaches it. Who we are as Christians, having been raised with Christ and now walking in newness of life, who we are as Christians, remember, who we are defines how, what we do. Who we are is that we are sort of resurrected, new birth, new creature Christians having fellowship with God. Now, if we're going to have fellowship with God, that's a relation. Is that a religion or a quiz? Is that a religion or a relationship? Everybody. It's a relationship. If we're having fellowship with God, it's a relationship. Now, with any relationship, because we understand relationships because we have them on a human level. With any relationship, there are things that we can do that harm or help that relationship. Is that fair? Yes. And so there are some things that might harm our fellowship with God. I think of it like marriage, right? I mean, to me, the, the biblical parallel of an earthly relationship that reflects our relationship with God is a human marriage, right? And Ephesians talks about it and elsewhere that Christ is like uh, the bride and, um, no, I'm sorry, Christ is the groom and the church is the bride, Right? And so it's a reasonable parallel. So I think of my wife who's not here today because she's sick. You can pray for her. But we don't have COVID in our house. Um, I love to have fellowship with her. Simple as that. We are each other's hobby. Simple as that. I love to hang out with her. Simple as that. So there are some things that I might do that would be stupid as it relates to enhancing fellowship with my wife. Is that fair? Right? If I had a, I'll just say it. If I had a girlfriend, right, that wasn't her, would that impact my fellowship with my wife? Which by the way, I don't. Would that impact my fellowship with my wife negatively? You bet it would. You bet it would. So when I walk out the door every morning, does she say, hey, don't get a girlfriend? Does she say it like that? Like it's a list of do's and don'ts like that? No, she doesn't. We just enjoy it. She doesn't have to. She doesn't have to. She doesn't have to because we have fellowship. I love hanging out with her. I don't want to do anything. When I do something stupid, less stupid than that, but when I do something stupid or say something stupid, man, you know what I'm talking about? When I I like what one man said. I just got to say it. I like what one man said. He said, uh, he's talking about his wife had sort of this sentimental um, experience. And he said, for once she was crying and it wasn't my fault, right? I like that. I like that. (laughs) So when I do something stupid or say something stupid, it breaks my heart. You get that? When I realized that I just said something stupid, I said something stupid yesterday. And I was like, oh, you idiot. Right? So it happens all the time. But the goal is not adhering to all the rules. The goal is enhanced fellowship with my wife. And while I'm thinking about it, let me just tell you this, as it relates to how we approach our Christian experience. I remember back in the day, this is a long time ago, I used to think that, and I used to say this to people, I hope they forgot, I used to say, you know, the way I look at it, marriage is like a bank account, right? Maybe you guys have thought like this. You know, you buy flowers, that's like a deposit, right? Like you buy flowers, it's like, we'll say that's, that's worth $50 into the marriage account, Right? You play golf, that's like, we'll say a $30 withdrawal, right? You play golf, you're walking out the door and the kids are screaming, and you say, see ya, (laughs) that's like a $50 withdrawal, right? And I used to think, you know, all you got to do is maintain a positive balance and not overdraw too much, and you're good. Right? you think my wife liked that theory? No. I remember, I remember my pastor up there in Indianapolis, he said, one time he said, Scott, you know, that's not biblical. I'm like, really? No, it's not biblical. It's about fellowship. It's not about deposits and withdrawals. That's religion. And let's not approach God that way. Right? So that's when we approach God like... You know, my good outweighs my bad. Honestly, uh, I was talking to a guy this week. He grew up in a certain denomination that's all about uh, uh, all about rules. I will say it. And my heart broke for this guy because his, you know, his theology for many years has kind of been. You know, well, I hope my good outweighs my bad. And when I, you know, and I believe in Jesus and he died for my sins. And when I, you know, when my time is up, I hope my, I hope I'm close enough that basically his grace can cover the rest. My heart broke for that man. Because there is nothing in scripture, particularly in New Testament, there's nothing in scripture that leads us to that conclusion. If we take an honest look at the scripture. The scripture is, there's nothing I can do. I I am just as much a sinner as the worst sinner on earth. Paul himself called himself the chief of sinners. And therefore, I need God's grace, and God's grace covers it all. And as a result, now I walk in newness of life. Now I have fellowship with God. And as a result of my fellowship with God, I want to maintain healthy fellowship with God. And so, as a guy who's walking in newness of life, wanting to maintain healthy fellowship with God, I think I'm going to stay away from fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. It just totally makes sense, right? So keep in mind who we are. We're Christians, walking in newness of life, having fellowship with God. Keep in mind where we are going. We're going to heaven, so therefore we should set our our mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Paul says in uh, Romans chapter six, another uh, verse says, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The word reckon there means take an inventory. You ever in in a relationship every once in a while, you need to take an inventory. Sometimes Tracy and I, because we have fellowship, we love being together. Sometimes we just need to sit down. Sometimes we need to go away and take an inventory. That's healthy. That's healthy. Sometimes uh, we just need to know that uh, not only did Jesus die for us, but he freed us from the power of sin, and so we don't need to indulge our sinful flesh. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And let me just... You may say, well, I'm okay on fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, but can I just point out just briefly that covetousness, he says, is idolatry. Be careful, 21st century Americans, about covetousness, because the Bible says it is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. So back before you became a Christian, that's how you lived. And that's the kind of stuff that brings God's judgment uh, on the earth. So we don't want to live according to the things that bring God's judgment upon the earth. Verse eight. But now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. So, these are the things that come out of our tongue. Ephesians 4.29 says that our speech should be, that everything out of our tongue should be what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. I like this as these verses kind of come together. You know, we said, set your mind on things above, but not on things of earth. And we said, what are those things above? Well, God is up there and other people are up there, Right? And when it really boils down to it, when they ask Jesus what's the greatest commandment, what did he say? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? As we sort of untangle from the world, we're more free to focus on God, number one, relationships with other people, number two, Right? I believe there's a thing where that should be the filter for really burst virtually everything we do is what I'm doing focused either on God and looking forward to heaven or focused on others so that, you know, other believers, I can edify them as part of the body of Christ. Other unbelievers, I can try to encourage them to become a believer, right? So if I'm focused on God or others, that should encompass basically everything I do. And notice that then as he talks about our fellowship with God as new creation, this first list, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, that impacts our fellowship with God negatively. So we should probably avoid that. The second list anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth, that negatively impacts our relationship with one another, right? How effective of an evangelist are you to the person that you just uh, vomited anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, and filthy language to, right? Right? Hey, you blankety blank blank blank. This, and I'm mad at you, and this, and this, and this, and you know, blah 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 blah, and malice and wrath and blah 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 blah. Hey, by the way, you ought to come to Jesus. Does that work? No, it doesn't work. So it's like the list encompasses our relation, our fellowship with God, and our fellowship with others, which are those two things that we need to be uh, focused on. He says, "Do not lie." one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds. Can I just pause here for a second? Integrity is old school. Integrity is a little bit out of vogue. Like, are we talking about integrity in in 2021? Yeah. Let's talk about integrity for a minute in 2021. You know, integrity is, a, is really a minute-by-minute minute decision. We all, we all kind of, um, we all have these little sort of micro-integrity decisions all the time. Can I encourage you? Whenever the, especially as the Lord would prompt, the Holy Spirit, I believe, prompts your heart, walk on the side of integrity even if you don't know what the outcome is going to be, sometimes we avoid integrity because we're not sure if I tell the truth, man, I don't know what the outcome is going to be. Well, that's not trusting God, right? If we walk in integrity and let God take care of the details, then he will. I had a delicate situation at work, uh, honestly, a couple weeks ago where I was, uh, I was asked to do something that I felt like was a, honestly a pretty flagrant violation of integrity. And I said, no, I'm not going to do it. And in my mind, I was like, we'll see where this goes, right? I'm still standing, (laughs) worked out fine, right? So many times you've had these uncertain times like, man, it's going to... It's gonna be painful to tell the truth on this one. Trust me, God sees it. God sees it. God sees it. And let me just tell you, just in terms of your relationships with one another, if I'm interacting with, uh, with a person, if, if we don't have integrity as, a, as, a, as sort of a foundational pillar of that relationship, there's not gonna be much relationship. Integrity is the backbone, really, of all relationships, whether you're a Christian or not. I mean, honestly, we don't have to have to—I I have, I have fellowship with people that aren't uh, common faith with me, and I can have a, a relationship of sorts with people that I don't agree with, but I can't really have a relationship with somebody that that relationship doesn't have integrity as its, as it's baseline. Does that make sense? It's critical. It's critical. He says, do not lie to one another. Why? Because you put off the old man and his deeds. The old man is in the water. The old man that wants to be involved in all that stuff, lying and, and wrath, anger, malice, blasphemy, filthy language, as well as fornication, passion, evil desire, and all that, that man is in the water. We don't have to walk in that anymore because Jesus' death and resurrection took care of it for us. and all this is since because we put off the old man and not only we put off the old man and all of his deeds we put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him i love this so literally it's like putting off your clothes putting off the dirty clothes and putting on the clean clothes right now how often do we have to do that all the time You put off the dirty clothes. You put on the clean clothes. Do we ever have um, uh, a word of anger come out of our mouth? Yeah, probably. When we stumble and fall and do something stupid, right, what do we do? We take that shirt off. We put on a clean one, right? Now, again, it's not works. It's fellowship. We want to have healthy fellowship with God. We want to have healthy fellowship with others. So because of the fellowship, we put off the old man, and we put on these other things. And these things that we put on, they, they, they cause us to be renewed in knowledge. The word for knowledge means discernment. So you get this? As I set my mind on things above and not on things of this earth. And as I walk in these things, and as I live like a person who's trying to have fellowship with God and who I am defines what I do. And the what I do is that I, as I live in a way that enhances my fellowship with God and other people. And as I do all of that, I get more discernment because he says, I get renewed in knowledge. I get more discernment as to how to do that. Proverbs says, the path of the righteous is like the, the light of dawn that shines brighter to the full day, right? When the, when the sun first comes up, it's sort of light. You can sort of see by noon, man. You can see clear. That's what it's like to walk in righteousness. Things are a lot more clear to me than they were five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. And Lord willing, they'll be more clear 10 years from now than they are today. That's why I don't claim to have all the answers today. Because I know, I know what my trajectory has been. And that's, by the way, why I like to listen to the wisdom of older people. So as our society sort of um, makes older people irrelevant, let me tell you, older people that have walked with the Lord for decades, that's a prize. That's a prize of a relationship. So, we put on these things. We be renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Here's another bonus. Here's the final bonus. We're just reading to verse 11 today, by the way. How many of you were nervous that I was going to go through all of chapter 3, and then I'm on verse 10 right now, and it's 10 to 12? How many of you are nervous? Raise your hand if you're nervous. Honest. Is there one? We talked about integrity just now. At least one. Integrity, that's it. We'll get it. Uh as I say, we'll give her a tomato, but she brought them. So uh, we won't do that. So verse 11 or verse 10, and 11, here's the prize. As we put on the new man, we're renewed in knowledge. And look at this according to the image of him who created him. So according to the image of him, as we put on this new man, as we walk in righteousness, as we grow in our discernment, as we understand all of these things, we become more like the image of Christ. We become like him. Romans chapter 8 tells us that as we live this life, we are conformed into his image. Right? Hopefully, you look more like Jesus than you did last year. Hopefully, you'll look more like Jesus next year than you do today. Right? We're being conformed into the image of Him who created us, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. And then, one final comment, particularly as it relates to our time in our country today and around the world Jesus and the biblical reality of who God is and who human beings are and all of that is the solution to racism today. The Bible says we're all one race, the human race. Paul, when he's talking to, I believe the Jewish leaders, refers to one blood. We are one blood. We're one blood. But see, part of the problem is we've all grown up in an evolutionary minded culture. I'll just say it. We've all grown up with an evolutionary worldview from our educational system. And so it would stand to be a logical (coughs) corollary there that, you know, if, if we're all evolved, then we're all sort of evolution in motion and so some of us might be a little more involved and more evolved than others and that's why some people are superior and some people are inferior and that is a lie from the pit of hell that is a lie from the pit of hell and you know my heart breaks for racism I don't fully understand all the manifestations of it but I know that Jesus died for every single human being that has ever lived, regardless of whatever defines that person. There's neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. So please don't forget what Jesus has done and continues to do for us. He allowed us that picture of Baptism, that we can be dead to sin and alive in Christ, right? And so it's not just the religious ceremony, the the sacrament of baptism is so much more that we even have that because of what he literally did on the cross and rose from the dead to the living for us. So let's not forget that he did that. He took care of our sinful nature and we can now walk in newness of life and the grace is what defines us as Christians. We didn't deserve any of that don't forget where we're going when we die as Christians. And as a result of that, our feet should be sort of planted on the ground, but not anchored on the ground. Does that make sense? You know, I love the picture you've heard me say before. Romans chapter 12, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 12 says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let us run with endurance the race that was set before us. Would you put on ankle weights? Would you wear ankle weights or like a scuba outfit with all those, you know, with the with the belt of <laughs> belt of weights around you, right? If you're gonna, it, the Olympics are on right now. Are any of those people wearing? I haven't watched all the running, because running's boring. But I, I haven't watched the running. Do, are any of them wearing ankle weights? No. Nobody does. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Ankle weights are those things when we're a little too attached to the world. We're a little too entangled in the world. Let's be careful. And let's realize that we have fellowship with God, that he made it all available. And so we can focus on him and we can focus on other human beings. All to edify the body of Christ. All to um, preach the good news. To fulfill the Great Commission in whatever way he has called us to do that. And that's a good life. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for the instruction in your word, that you're so good to us, that you've done everything, all the work for us to be set apart from our old nature, to walk in newness of life. You've made it possible and Lord, we're, we're blown away that you would desire to have fellowship with us, but we're thankful that you do. And so Lord, help us to avoid these things that hinder our fellowship with you or with each other. Help us to walk in newness of life. Help us to set our mind on things above, not on things of this earth. And help us to run that race with endurance. All for your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Everybody have an awesome, awesome week.